Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Oh, I've got a little fan club over there. It's good. Brought them from Wollongong. Hit me. I've got to carry my own little crew around. Uh, hey, so great to be here. Appreciate Tara and Duncan having me here as well. I wasn't sure that was a floor or... What the... Oh, it's a guitarist. Don't draw attention to the guitarist while he's making noise. Hey, uh, it is great to be here and uh, really appreciate you uh, allowing me. It's not, I never take it lightly, I think, uh, when people allow you to be in their service or congregation. I like, I'm a pastor. It scares me sometimes. Uh, I'm not sure what I'm going to get or how it's going to go uh, when I invite people in, so I appreciate that. And Tara, of course, is uh, leading for me uh, in the state here of WA for community engagement. We always have a bit of a chuckle to ourselves because uh, community engagement is kind of like the... I'm going to just move over here. Community engagement is kind of like the... How would I describe it? The thing everybody nods to but mostly just thinks we're a bit strange. And uh, I spent the last 20 years of my life feeling like I'm swimming against the flow mostly. The good news is that the landscape is changing and uh, even the fact that our movement has, uh, the ACC has something like community engagement. Uh, when I first took it on a few years ago, it was called Community Care. I didn't change the name because we no longer care, um, although that was part of the perception. Uh, I, I just changed it because, and I'm not even sure engagement is the right word, but there has to be a shift. Can I, by way of introduction this morning, talk to you about, I just at the last end of last year, uh, was thinking, just talking to the Lord about some things, and I was reflecting on I turned 50. Who knows you reflect a lot when you turn 50 because all of you are under 50. So this guy here just put his hand up. He's only, he's 20, so he's, you know, um, he's thinking about when he's going to be 50. Uh, so, uh, I, I was doing a lot of reflecting and I've, I literally pastor the church I grew up in. So I've been in my church since I was 11 years of age and uh, I was a youth pastor for 12 years. Uh, I actually am a, I'm a builder, actually a licensed builder. That's what I did for a number of years, ran my own business, etc and did the youth as a volunteer. Uh, I married the pastor's daughter. There's a tip if you want the church. Don't, don't, worry about, don't worry about anointing or skill. Trust me, don't worry about any of those things. Just marry into the family, and uh, before long they give you the church. And so that's what happened to me. And plus I'd done every other role, right? I'd, I'd was like the, I was like the creche leader. Um, I was a conference coordinator. I mean, there was not a job I haven't done. Really, senior pastor was the only job that was to go on. So they gave me that one as well. And uh, anyway, I never planned to be, I never ever thought to be a senior pastor. I really have, I'm very practical in my thinking. And in some ways it's helped me because I, I just don't like uh, religion or faith that doesn't work. And so I think my, the, my strength, what was probably a weakness back then, which is I was way too practical for everybody, um, has become my strength, which is I just don't want to, read a Bible and serve a God that I never see working in everyday life and so it's been a big focus for me to do that anyway as I was reflecting last year about that I was thinking about the three generations because my parents came to Lighthouse I pastor a church called Lighthouse in Wollongong it has three locations now those three locations none of the none of them are the same what we did was we just the way we plant churches from Lighthouse perspective is we just uh, I send a couple into the community if they're not already living there already. They do no services or gathering of any form for two years. Uh, their whole role is just to invest their lives into the people, into the community. The worst that, Lighthouse is a big church in our city, and the worst thing I can do is arrive into communities like we're here to save you. That's the worst thing I can do. 
So what we do is we go in, we spend time, we invest genuinely, authentically, not because it's not a, as I described the other day, the wool shed, which is another venue we've got, which is open seven days, is not a fly trap for trapping flies. That's not the focus of what we have the wool shed. We're not here to trick people, not here to sneak up on them and you didn't really realise we we're going to be a church, but ha-ha, we are. You never saw it coming. That's not what we're doing. Authentically getting to know people in those communities. And out of that, um, we grow, really, I grow with that couple whatever is on their heart to do, really. And I joke about it, and I've got to stop joking about it, because like my north location is so different to normal church. Um, they do things called bread and wine, and um, that's their community thing they do. They have real wine, tapas, and Grant just talks about, um, he talks to non-Christians, so 50% of the room are completely far from God. And he just talks about uh, the blood covenant of Jesus and what it means. He just chats to them about it. He does it for six minutes and heaps of people come. And so it's hard for me because I'm like this 50-year-old uh, Anglo, born in Australia, you know, grew up in the steel cities. Everyone was a steel worker and I'm a builder. And I got, this, I got these massive... Uh, stereotypes and cultural thinkings and that's actually what I'm going to speak to you about today actually. Actually I'm going to speak to you out of Acts 10 in a moment about uh, Peter's vision but I'm going to talk about it because it's actually almost like a confessional it's almost like a confessional uh, of my life, my transition uh, from a, a church kid, church focus to uh, I recalibrated my life uh, six years ago so that 80% of my life as a senior pastor is not inside the church. I spend all my week outside the church I'm only in my church two hours a week on a Tuesday and then I preach on Sundays. That makes everybody feel like I'm the senior pastor. Um, and then I'm, I go, I leave, and my guys do whatever they do to lead the church. This was my thought. In the 60s, 60s, late 60s, not that I was around so much, but the 70s and 80s particularly, my parents were in a Baptist church. This is not against any church. This is just my testimony, so don't pick on me already. I can tell I mentioned Baptist, but some of you are upset already. Just chill, right? And uh, so they're in the Baptist church and they got filled with the Holy Spirit. And so my mum and dad were so excited about the fact that they could pray in tongues that they thought they should go and tell their senior minister. Turns out that wasn't a good idea. And so he gave them what I like to call the right foot of fellowship out the door and said, you can't be here if you're going to tell people about that. So off they went. Now, that's how we landed at Lighthouse. I was 11 years of age uh, when I landed there. And what I found in that era, so I grew up most of my life around... uh, the Holy Spirit, a very strong Pentecostal church, of course, and, you know, literally talk about swinging from the rafters. I mean, my church used to swing from the rafters. We had rafters, they would swing. And so there's nothing I haven't seen in the Pentecostal spectrum, trust me. People slithering on the floor and levitating, and it's, it's on. I've seen it all right. So, so it's interesting because it was a powerful time to grow up in, and there was, there was definitely a move towards the Holy Spirit. And what happened in the, the plus of that, there's always a plus with the Holy Spirit, but there's some negatives with it as well. Not, the Holy Spirit's not negative. Man can make it negative. So the pluses were the pluses were that the church, churches that were dead came alive, <clears throat> number one. And churches that did not have the Holy Spirit started all over the place. And the ACC has essentially got churches that started out of that. And it was, a, it was an incredible era. But what happened was, as I grew up, see, I'm a bit of a watcher. Like a, I'm just like a church kid, so I'm just watching. I think, well, that's strange. Well, that's good. Or, well, that's okay, but nobody seems to be attracted to that. Or you know, I just would think a lot about it. And as I was watching it happen, I said, that I, I just thought, oh, this, this is an incredible thing, but I probably couldn't bring my friends to this. That was one of the thoughts I would have growing up. I probably couldn't bring my friends to this. Uh, the second thing, as I was thinking about it, was that while it was 
powerful, it had the tendency to become inward. And so I, I reckon in the 70s and 80s, there was a move towards the Holy Spirit. And one of the mantras of that era was um, like run sheet. Having a run sheet was like unspiritual because how can the Holy Spirit move when you have a run sheet? Right. So, so the, the most you know awesome Sundays was when you know my my father-in-law you know screws up the run sheet and and, and you know we were going to go for the next four hours. That was what was going to happen. So that was the most powerful that was going to happen. So, so that was strange. I always thought that was strange that people thought that you couldn't have structure with the Holy Spirit. I thought that was unusual. And uh, so we we kind of merged morphed, uh, morphed through that season. I, I think that the other downside was that we kind of taught ourselves that it did. You, that you didn't have to necessarily be gifted to do what you do. So another mantra I heard from people was, hey, all you need is a bad voice and a two-string guitar, right? Because as long as you've got the Holy Spirit, the other stuff doesn't matter. So I'd be sitting there as a teenager watching the guy with a two-string guitar and no voice thinking, I wish he had less Holy Spirit and more talent. That's what I was thinking. That's, that's what I just hope. Somebody, could you kind of shift that around a bit? Because that's, that's hard to tolerate. Whatever you're doing up there, if you could stop, that would be fantastic. That was the feeling I had growing up. And so we, so we just got mixed up. We just thought that Holy Spirit meant whatever goes, goes, and, you know. And then, so what happens is the next generation, I reckon, the, the no, 90s and noughties, I reckon that, that 20, 25-year period has been a move towards excellence, where we said, actually, you actually if you're going to do it, you should do it well. It was just a thought. And I think that was good because we didn't leave the Holy Spirit behind. We brought the Holy Spirit with us, but we just said, hey, if you're going to be a guitarist, learn to play it. If you're going to sing, get lessons, you know, all that sort of stuff, normal sort of stuff that anybody else out in the world would do. So there was a shift between both of those things. And so the last 25 years, predominantly, I have grown up and led in what I would call the excellence era, where it has predominantly been an attractional model whereby... If we, we, and this worked, by the way, for a season, whereby if you could get the best lights, the best musos, the best of everything, people will come from everywhere. And actually, it's worked, but I actually want to tell you today, prophetically, I believe that we're on the edge of excellence. And actually, I went to Coldplay last year in Sydney. Yeah, sorry about that. What's wrong with Coldplay? I can't. I can't. I'll have to go. We've got an anti-Coldplay person in the room. And it was, the concert was awesome. Like, it was unbelievable. And, and so what we've got to understand is that the world can get that anywhere. Really, the truth is they can get it anywhere. It's not wrong. It's not bad. It's just that we definitely we were in a niche season where that was getting people connected to God. My concern is that we're not recognizing, and I think we've already started and have been for the last five years, I think we're in a move towards community. So we've moved uh, towards the Holy Spirit and we've moved towards excellence. We don't leave the Holy Spirit and we don't leave uh, um, excellence behind. We have to bring them because dumb generations, dumb generations think what they have is the only thing. Smart generations go, what, were, what was God up to in those seasons that were always meant to be timeless? There'll be a huge amount of methods that have to remain, but there's some stuff that has to be brought through. And so the question then, if, if Holy Spirit and excellence are still God things, 
but the move is towards community, then the question has to be, what does the Holy Spirit look like in community? And what does excellence look like in community? That's the, what, that's the question. Not forget them, but what does it look like? And so essentially what I did by accident, by the way, I am the accidental leader. I, when I talk to you today, it's going to sound like I knew what I was doing. had no idea. Got no clue. Can't even believe I got this far. I'm just a ch- seriously a church boy who ultimately marries into the whole thing, arrives with a church, doesn't know what to do. The day I got the church, I grew up in a strongly Pentecostal man. Uh, I would call him a demon buster. He loved to cast out demons. Every Sunday we'd do a demon casting session. It was great. It was good fun. And I grew up under all that, yet the day I became senior pastor, I had an overwhelming passion that has never stopped in 18 years to build the kind of church that engages with community. It's, it's a God thing because it never leaves me. Even when I get tired, that part of me never dies, stays alive. And all I want to talk to you a little bit about today is some of the things that I've learned and some of the changes because people think that I must have been good at change. But one of the things, Emily's going to be here with me this week, we're teaching at the college, our community, uh, Diploma of Community Services. And one of the things I would often say to the room, and Emily agrees with me, is, is that in the process of us teaching community and learning about community, what we thought was going to change others, that process changed us. So I am not the person, not remotely the person I was 18 years ago when it comes to the way I think about God, church, faith, and community. And so I want to encourage you that for us, I took a church that was an incredible church and I was so blessed to be a part of that for all my life. I served my pastor for 22 years and uh, to take that church on it's become a church that is nothing like what it used to be but you can see God's hand and favour on it along the way. And I think uh, it's okay that if uh, Tara and Duncan are leading you in a different way of thinking, I think that's important because it's far too easy. I've got to tell you how easy it would be for me to, to do a tractional church. Like, I can't tell you. Like, I should have. Like, my north location gets like 80 people tops. Right? That's, and my couple are happy about it. In my brain, as an attractional guy, I'm like, where are the crowds? I have to constantly go, okay. No, no, we we're never doing that for a crowd. We're, we're trying to reach people who are far, far from God. Right? And so, for me, when I took on the church, day one, I come up with this awesome preaching series. You're going to love it. I started to preach for a year. What if it's not about you? Who, think, who says that a preach, right? What if it's not about you? So I preach it for, in different ways for about 12 months. I inherited a church of 500 people, and I preach what if it's not about you. I just said things like simple things. I thought they were simple. I said, what about if it's not about your favorite chair? What if it's not about your favorite song? What if it's not about your favorite car space? What if it's not about you? What if really, now that you're saved, it's about God honoring him and others who don't know God? What if it's that? Well, guess what? Turns out it was about them. I grew my church from 500 to 300 in the first two years. That's why I'm here. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm like the pruning pastor. If you need to prune your church, invite Paul Bartlett. He'll, he's skilled at it. And, you know, the, the reality is in the transitions of my church, as it's, it's grown in different ways, we've done different things. I still have to face pruning all the time because unfortunately, unfortunately, I'm not there. I know we're not there where we need to be. 
and constantly people want the same model, the same style, the same thing. And essentially what we're saying is it really is just about us. I want you to know, I do say it respectfully. If you know Jesus today, it's no longer just about you. It has to be about honoring God on this earth and connecting people who are far from God to him. It has to be. And so we, we will do everything in our power to do that. Why don't, you go, why don't you grab your Bibles if you've got your devices, as we like to say. You can even download it right now while we're talking. Grab your Bibles, Acts 10, 9. As I said, I want to read it because it really is the story of personal transformation um, that really is what changes the church. Actually, what changes the church isn't really what we change physically. It's what changes internally in us. And so it's, it's rather long, so if you just bear with me, I'd like to read it, Acts 10, 9 to 28. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. <clears throat> he saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. And the, then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheep was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. And while Peter was still thinking about vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up, go downstairs, do not hesitate, go with them, for I've sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for, why have you come? And the men replied, we have come from Cornelius and Centurion. He's the, uh, the centurion, he's a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. And then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. Verse 24, the following day he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them, and he called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. And while talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that this is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I could not call anyone impure or unclean. In verse 34, 35, this is my favorite bit. And Peter began to speak and he said this, I now realize how true it is that God has, does not show favoritism, but accepts from, accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Now this is my story. I don't think for a moment that I ever had prejudices. I don't in the sense that I intentionally had them. I don't think for a moment uh, that I set out to exclude people, but my thought today would be that here is a man, Peter, who hung around Jesus for three years, and by merit of the fact that he believed he was a hang-arounder of Jesus, Jesus, who has a large circle of love, uh, believes, in fact, that he also has a large circle of love, but he doesn't. He has a small circle of love. And I look back at my life, and I think that's me. I think, I thought because I was in church and I hear about love and I hear about Jesus and God is love and all those things, I just had let myself believe that I must also be like that. But it was only when I uh, put myself in community spaces, in amongst people that were not like me or far from anything like me, 
where I heard myself say like Peter, because I'm in proximity to people who aren't like me, I heard myself say, I now realize that I think I have, I think I, I thought I had a large circle of love, but I think I have a small circle of love. I mean, this is Peter who uh, we know who spent all that time, he's devoted to Jesus, he's kind of, you know, the pin-up boy for, uh, you know, God is love on earth, and he's, he's kind of respected, he gets some answers right, some answers wrong, we know Peter, it's a struggle. Um, he's the same guy that uh, when the Holy Spirit fell, who shouts to a crowd of people from the book of Joel, who says God is pouring out, this is Peter, right? This is Peter who, by culture, does not associate with Gentiles. So he, he definitely won't eat with them. He definitely won't go in their house. And he definitely won't be seen with them. And here's a man, Peter, who believes truly that the gospel up until this point is really for people like him. That's what he believes. Yet he hung out with Jesus for three years. And so now he has this realization but this is the same Peter who earlier is shouting to a crowd saying, in the last days, God will pour, he's requiting Joel, God will pour out his spirit on all flesh, on, on men and women. He's shouting the large circle of love, but living the small circle of love. And true transformation for me has been the recognition that my life was different to the shout. My life was different to the culture. It, it was very easy for me to believe while singing that I am that. And this is not, this is not to judge us or to make us necessarily feel bad, but, it, it's, but part of transformation is the sobering idea that I'm not who I thought I was. That's really only how transformation happens. And so don't worry that my church left. I wanted to leave. I, I wanted to leave my church. My, I wanted to leave myself. I was disappointed in myself. You know, I never forget, I think it's in my book, I, one of the most, I, I, do you have defining moments? I feel like, so this is what God does. God uses, God uses things, uh, he talks to you from things that you know about things that you don't yet know. Right? That's how God speaks to you. It's all the time to me. So God will take something you know that you, you deal with all the time, but he uses it to give you a different slant on life all the time. I'm running down the mall. It's Monday. It used to be my day off until I wrote a book. God, thank God it's Monday. I had to change the day because every pastor thought I wrote a book about their day off. I'm like, no, I didn't. Why would I write a book about your day off? So I changed it. It's Friday. But Mondays, I was going down the mall, and Monday, I like to set a bit of a boundary around all that I'm doing. And it's not the day to mix with people, certainly not difficult people. So Annette, my wife, she's in town. She texts me, says, oh, um, wait, we meet in town for coffee. So I'm running through the mall. And at, at the front location of our uh, station, station location, I took, keep telling the guys, station location, yeah. So that's our main campus. There's a big foyer, we're 50 metres from the railway station. So a lot of people off the street hang there. And what typically they do is they don't want to come into a service. They're not ready to do that, but they just hang in the foyer. And particularly, just quite frankly, a lot of our town drunks will just 
hang in the foyer during the week and on Sundays and they feel at home there and uh, etc. We, we have a cafe there. And so they hang in there, that's cool. So when I was coming from different locations, I would often stop and chat to them and get, you know, just have a bit of a laugh about whatever and we talk and, and I'd take five or ten minutes to do that every time I came in. And I'm running through the mall on a Monday and as I'm running through, looking forward to my coffee with Annette, I see some of the guys that normally are in the foyer of our church, the drunk guys, and uh, my brain says, don't look over. It's Monday. So that's good. Good, good discipline, Paul. And so I keep running through the mall. And then I hear that other voice, the Holy Spirit, say, you should go over. I'm thinking, I'm not going over. Even the Lord knows I need a day off. And so I miss, avoid. They're now waving. I'm trying not to look. They're waving. Here the Holy Spirit says, go over. So I go over. I go over. It's 10 a.m. people, and they're drinking cast wine. Five o'clock somewhere, I guess. And so they're drinking cast wine out of our church cups, mind you. <laughs> Lighthouse cups. And uh, so they invite me in for a drink. And uh, anyway, the main guy who I've got to know a little bit, the main guy, he calls, he says, hey, Pastor Paul, come on over. I want you to meet my friends. And he introduces his friends by saying this. He says, hey, fellas, I want you to meet my pastor. And I remember in that moment, something shifted in my thinking because I had been pursuing, it actually happened to be that, that weekend just before, that I had, actually happened to be in Canberra. I actually happened to be in a room where I met John Howard. I thought it was pretty awesome, you know, little John Howard. And, uh, you know, I, I was thinking, you know, I, I even began to whisper to myself, oh, Paul, this must be what your ministry is going to be like, meeting with people in high places, you know. And I just could tell God did the comparison. And God said, actually, no, this, this is what your ministry is going to be. That actually, Paul, lots of people are chasing those who are well known. But the mark of what you do is you'll be known by those who are not known. And I think that is a move towards community. You know, I've got to tell you, I look for, I look for environments where I'm not noticed or not seen. I have taught myself that when nobody notices me do a good thing, or when I show up in places where people will never know what I did, or I get attacked even when I'm doing good, you know what I say to myself? Oh, I must be with Jesus. Because that's what Jesus said had happened. That attack you for your faith. They wouldn't say thank you for the things you do. So I don't know whether you guys know, I'm a chaplain for an NBL basketball team. Could you guys stop beating us, by the way? <laughs> Perth Wildcats, my goodness me. It's like our nemesis team. We can never, once, just once in 11 years. We had not beaten you here in Perth for 11 years. Up until last year, we won once. You just let us off the hook and now you keep beating us ever since. So, you know, I've got a big job to do with an upset team every time they come to Perth and got to go home. Anyway, I've been doing that role for 16 years. And, you know, when I started there, they called me the Rev. When I started there, um, the co- this is what the coach said to me. He said, you can, you can be here, Rev, but you have to stay out of my road. I thought, how rude is that? I don't need to. I can go to church and be treated that way. I don't, I don't need to be here. I, could, I can get that in my own church. I, 
And, and you know what I said? I said, you know what? I'm not. I don't. I don't have to be treated that way. You know what the Lord said to me? What if it's not about you? How rude's that? When God uses your own sermons against you. That's horrific. And so I stayed. And then, because he had to get revival mentality out of my head, because I grew up with everybody's going to get saved right now. And if they don't, they get saved, move on to the next person. But that's, that was what it was like. So I said to myself, all right, I'll stay for a year. If nobody gets saved, I've got to move on. I've got things to do. So a year comes, nobody gets saved. I'm like, that's it, I'm out of here. God said, what are you doing? Stay. Get to know people. Serve. Okay, I'll stay two years. If people don't get saved, I'm go- two years, nobody gets saved. It takes me six, six years to figure out I'm not just there to get people saved. I'm actually there to genuinely and authentically connect with people, serve them in a way, and then see what God does with that. Well, when I learned that lesson, the next six years, six guys. I led six very tall men to the Lord. I'm the short guy in the room, literally. I'm six foot four and I'm short. But my, my point was this, that actually, I tell churches all the time, that I have a TV ministry. You can watch me live on Fox Sport in the NBL season. You have to look hard. But there I am. I'm off to the side. It's the same team I've been with for 16 years. I mean, I'm a pastor of a big church, by the way. And I stand there and I get the towel and I wipe up the sweat off the floor. And when I hand them their towel, their sweaty, dirty towel, that they share and I give it to them they don't say thank you in fact they sit there they often just flick the towel behind them and it hits me in the head the wet sweaty towel and then their drink bottles I fill up their drink bottles and then instead of handing them back nicely to me they just toss them on the floor and I've got to go searching under the chair and that's probably the angle you might see of me when you're on Fox oh we recognise that but that's Pastor Paul he's chasing water bottles again up the back there and I honestly believe that when we move towards community, what the world needs is not people that love the platform, but people that love the towel. I reckon that's a shift. I reckon you've got to start to serve people without an agenda. We say at Lighthouse, we will serve our community even if they never come to our church. We're not fast. You don't have to come to our church. But we will serve you. And we never start anything in our community we never start it unless we committed to stay to it for it. Because what they do expect is, is they expect us to turn up, but when we don't get our agenda met, come to us, get saved, they can pretty much guarantee we won't be there again for the same event next year. So we have said, well, we'll turn up event after event after event with the idea of serving you, and whether you come or not, it's never the issue for us. We love you. We serve you. We do it. So I think the Apostle Paul, uh, sorry, Peter here in this situation, I think he had to have this shift in his thinking that for you and I is about personal transformation God wants us all to do. You know, in the 60s, not that I was there, but I was for three years. In the 60s, the hippies, um, they're all about free love and love more. And uh, you know what, though? It turns out they just love people like themselves. So it's still all cultural. You can talk about love, but end up still loving people just like yourself. Real love is when you love people who aren't like you and don't live the same lifestyle, aren't in the same places. And uh, for us, we continue to, to love people that are not remotely like us. And I think Jesus, I think it's the essence of Jesus 
that, you know, like in Mark chapter 9, they thought they would impress Jesus. Um, it, well, the disciples constantly misjudged what Jesus was trying to do. You know, I remember when Jesus was going to uh, go to Samaria, they got news that uh, Samaria doesn't want him. What do the disciples do? They, go, they say, hey, Jesus, we've got it. We know what to do. Why don't we pray down fire? That'd be awesome. Like, really? Jesus is thinking, what? You're, what? Your solution, it, it, boys, what is what you're telling me? Your solution to people not wanting me is to call down fire? Is that what you're telling me? Yeah, that's what we reckon. We reckon we should do that. He's like, no, we're not going to call down fire on them. It's okay. You're going to get rejected, boys, from time to time. Or, or, or one time they, they heard that uh, somebody was uh, casting out a demon out of somebody, but it wasn't from their group. Right? So they come running up to Jesus. Jesus, good news. We rescued a bad situation. We heard that somebody, not from our group, was trying to heal a boy. But don't you worry. <laughs> we did exactly what you thought we thought you'd do. We stopped it. Jesus is like, what? You what? You stopped it. If they're not against us, he says, they must be for us. So unless they're against us, it doesn't matter if they're in our group. And so lots of things we do, lots of methods, lots of rules have come culturally by what we think is protecting God from his own message. And we're really not here to do that. And so I want to encourage you, even challenge you a little bit today, that maybe you need to walk into spaces um, in community or, or, work, or better still, maybe you don't need to change what you're doing. Maybe you really need to change what, how you see what you're doing. I actually think that the kingdom of God, I'm just about finished, the kingdom of God will fail, if it could fail, and I don't think it will, but it would fail for two reasons. Number one, you don't know who you are, that you are a child of the living God. Number two, you don't know that what you do Monday to Friday is your calling. The reason I wrote, thank God it's Monday, is because I got sick of seeing Christians hashtag TGIF, there's nothing wrong with a good weekend. We all need a good weekend. But to me, the mathematics didn't work out because why would you work your guts out for five days in a job you hate to earn money just to get through the week, to pay the bills, get the kids through school so that you can have Saturday your day, Sunday God's day and go back to all that horrible thing again on Monday all the way through? Isn't it better that you recognize that what you do midweek is God's hand upon your life and that Ephesians 2.10 is absolutely true that God has gone ahead of you to prepare good things for you to do. You say to me today, but Paul, I only, all, my, all I do is serve coffee in a cafe. Paul, all I do is uh, you know, build houses. All I do is, I, t- I tell you, when we can see that what we have been put, given in our hands to do practically every day is God-breathed, then we'll change our nation. But whatever we believe spiritual experiences happen predominantly on Sundays in this environment, then this nation will miss out on God. But if we can get everyday Christians to go to work like it's what they were made to do, then this nation has a chance. 
The only reason the tradesman, excuse this horrible analogy, the only reason the tradesman goes to the end of year work party, drinks as much as everybody else at the party, even though he's a Christian, is not because he's a drinker. It's because he doesn't know who he is. And it's because he doesn't know that his workplace, he's there to be a difference. Because if you knew what you were, who you were, and what you're meant to do, you'd never do those things. You would just naturally go, I can't do that because I'm meant to be salt and light here. I'm meant to be different. And so as we finish today, I want to encourage you. This is the story of the transition of Lighthouse. This is a story of you and your Monday. How important it is that you, not us pastors, that you go to work like you literally know God's called you to make a difference. Uh, we, we are finding it is helping churches right across the globe right now. That's why we turn into the TGI movement. Literally, nations all across the world are saying we want to think differently about what it means to be a Christian every day of the week. God bless you. Thanks for having me this morning. Come on, won't you stand? Paul is the kind of leader that reflects the leadership of this church. That kind of uh, humility knowing that the real stuff is just following Jesus. Not being seen with the powerful, but amongst the powerless. That our importance and our influence comes from being with those who are despised and adoring them and finding that those the world adores will come and hang out with us as we are with the despised and see that they're worth adoring. What you heard from Paul is a, a brother who's a great leader in this nation, who's been on this genuine journey of what it is to become part of the body of Christ. That communion is this journey of being incorporated into this love. But before there is work to do out there, there is work to do in here. And the gospel is an inside job. It's like when you get on the plane and uh, those who are directing what will happen when the gas masks drop down, that first you do what? You place it upon yourself before helping someone else. And there are people here this morning are like, I've got a sense from hearing Paul share about Scripture that I am called to take part in that work that gives life, that gives air, that fills people with inspiration, that they can be a part of the journey. But first, let us come around the table and remind ourselves to put that mask upon ourselves. We are not any good to anyone else until we can breathe that air of God's new creation ourselves. So if you're here this morning and you've been reminded in such ways that this is the journey that we're invited on and I want back in, I want that air where I know what to do with my Monday because I know who I am and what I'm for, this is a place to respond, not as an individual, as a people. This is where we get knit back together. This is our call and it comes out of the experience of being deeply loved. This is us remembering why it is we're here, what we do so we can go and be that out there. There are some who have been here often and as we're about to say there are some that come for the first time. If you are coming for the first time mum, I'm going to ask just in this moment before we come around the table, if we could just close our eyes and uh, be attentive to what's happening in us.
if you are here this morning and you have never said yes to the love of Jesus, that love that liberates us, that we can be a part of the liberation of others, I don't want to let this moment go by without giving you an opportunity to say, yes, I want to follow Jesus. I want to become a Christian. I want to enter into baptism that my life might be that pattern of serving others because of how God has saved me. If you're here this morning and you'd like to say yes to the love that liberates, that is ours in Christ. If you're here this morning and you would like to become a Christian, while people have their eyes closed and their heads bowed, I just ask in this space now that you'd simply just slip up your hand. If you're here this morning and you would like to to be baptized, to follow Jesus, if you'd just raise your hand now. It's a beautiful thing. Praise God. It's a beautiful thing. If you are here this morning and maybe you have said yes to that love that liberates in the waters of baptism, but you realize you miss your Mondays because you haven't had those, to use the analogy from Acts 10, those holy sheet moments where this sheet drops down and these things and these people that you once thought were unclean actually become your call. If you are here this morning and you have heard that call to regain your Monday and be a part of God's mission, I just ask in the silence of this moment, we have a, a brave new brother who has raised his hand and said yes to Jesus this morning, but if you want to say yes again and mark today aside before coming to the table that yes, I am back in in what God is doing in us as a people, I invite you now just to raise your hand so we can pray with you. That's wonderful. Church, let's stand and let's pray this together. I invite you to repeat after me. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you. In thought, in word, and indeed, we have not loved you with our whole heart and we have not loved our neighbor. We have not loved the stranger and we have not loved our enemies as you have loved us. We come before you and we humbly repent. Take our sin that we might take part in your salvation. Make us anew around this table to your glory that the world might see your love. And all God's people said, Amen. Church, this is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It's made ready for all those who love God and those who want to love God more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little, you who have come here often and you who come here today for the first time, you who have tried to follow Jesus, you who have this week have failed in following Jesus, you who have just decided to follow Jesus, come. Don't let anything keep you from love's feast. Let nothing empty this meal of its power. Leave judgment behind and receive mercy. Leave indifference behind and recognize God's family. Leave now if necessary. Go be a reconciler and run back because it is God's promise that Christ is present and through the power of the Holy Spirit, transformation happens here. So church, 
grace is present. Come and receive the mercy of God. Amen. Yes, Lord. Thank you. Thank you that we are covered by your grace, God. Lord, thank you that it is sufficient, that it is all-encompassing, Lord. Amen. Thanks, Paul. That was an incredible word. Church, let's give Paul a round of applause. Such a challenging word. Before we go out today, we're going to read our benediction, which comes from, uh, it's based on Isaiah 61. It's what we believe as a church. And I think it's really applicable to what uh, Paul's talking about and what he's uh, written in his book. Um, Thank God it's Monday. This is is like uh, what we carry out into our Monday church. This is something that uh, we read and we declare as a church so that we can take it into our week and we can uh, use it to inspire and our calling is our job and what we work in and this is, this is what we're called to as a church every day of the week, and just not, not just on a Sunday. So I think it's going to be up if you want to read along with me. Church, we have come as we are, but by His grace we are sent out not the same. For in this place the Spirit that anointed Christ has been poured out on us. He has exchanged a crown of beauty for our ashes, the oil of joy for our sorrow, a garment of praise for our spirit of despair. He has spoken over us a new name, Oaks of Integrity, and prophesied that we will grow into a canopy of His beauty to bless and rebuild this city in His unfailing, nonviolent love. So go, broadcast good news to the poor, bind up the brokenhearted, prophesy freedom for the captives, let the blind see, Set free the oppressed, live jubilee and forgive, blessing our enemies because Christ has shut the book on vengeance. Go now in his liberating grace that pardons and empowers sinners like us to participate in God's kingdom of mercy and all God's people said, Amen.